What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm very excited because today on the show, we have one of my very close friends and bandmates from two different bands, Wolfpack and the Fearless Flyers. Joe Dart is on the show today. You may know him as virtuosic bass player for both of those bands. He also plays with Theo Katzman, Joey Dosick, The Olam, several others, a singular voice on the bass guitar, and an ambassador for excellence in the bass guitar for our generation. I'm so excited. It's been a long time coming. Joe and I have been trying to coordinate getting him on the podcast for a while now. Felt like the timing was right because there's a new Fearless Flyers album coming. Yeah, that's right. It's no surprise. We talked about it at our last Blue Note run in New York City. We recorded the album live in front of an audience. It's not live at Blue Note. It's just an album we recorded live in front of an audience at the Blue Note. Anyway, I'm very excited to have Joe on the show today. Speaking of live shows, I'm about to get on tour right now. I'm very excited. If you have not gotten your tickets, go now before you can't. We're doing the West Coast of the United States. And when I, whenever anybody says West Coast tour, it basically just means like anywhere west of Nashville because that's where most buses leave from. My bus that I rent, it's not my bus, the buses that I rent. I have two buses. We leave from Nashville and we're going all over the place. West of Nashville, Texas, Oklahoma City, Denver, Salt Lake, making our way up Rocky Mountains, Texas, Southwest and West Coast. What are you supposed to call that tour? West, US, US West, Western Conference. Is that a better way to do it? I'm doing a Western Conference tour of the United States. Come check it out. If you don't have tickets, seriously, the band is slamming right now. Got a full 10-piece band. Monica Martin as a special guest. And the band La Lome opening up. Incredible band. Found them on the internet several months ago. I was like, gotta get these cats out there. Everybody needs to know about them. Because they're dope. So check it out. And without further ado, Joe Dark. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes... 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Dude, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's great to finally have you on. It's been a long time coming. Dude, it's, uh, I've been a long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, what, is, <laughs> what's, what season of the pod is this, bro? This is season seven. No kidding. 
Congrats. Thank you, bro. It's been really wow. fun. It's been uh, amazing, actually. It's been it's been great to have. I mean, some of our heroes, you know, you've heard some of it. It's like uh-huh. these people that when I was in college, I would have paid any amount of money to sit down and talk to for an hour. It's unbelievable, man. It's uh, <laughs> what a time to be alive. And, uh, you know, props for, uh, you know, kind of taking advantage of the, the opportunity, man. It's pretty cool. And I, I've enjoyed listening even to the guys in-house, man. Katzman and, you know, yeah. just, uh, it's great, dude. Yeah, it's fun. Get just get different perspective with your friends, you know. And I think that's I know. that's something fun here, where it's like I'll probably ask you things that we just haven't talked about. Some yeah. things that I know, I know what you're gonna say, uh, yeah. just because I know listeners have certain things they want to hear and know about. But um, yeah, like I, I want to start out by just like you have such a signature voice on the instrument, you know. And so many of us have have looked and longed to find that. And as long as I've known you, you've had your thing you know, and yeah. you continue to develop it. I'm curious how you came about your voice on the instrument and, and kind of what you think of when you describe it to somebody. If, if Like, I know how I think of it, but how do you describe yeah. your voice on the instrument and how did you come to find it? Yeah, well, I remember when I was starting out, uh, my bass teacher, when I was probably like, you know, I was really young, I was nine, 10 years old, uh, was really he was trying to drive home the idea that you could tell who a bass player was across recordings and, you know, just listening to it. And I think it made a big impression on me that bass players have a, an identity because when you're starting out, you know, and you're just struggling to even hear the bass within a mix, um, let alone the identity of the bass player, it was like, Oh, you know, not only can I see, this, you know, player like Flea, for example, I can hear them and I can hear their voice on the instrument. And I think for me, the melodic players were the ones that really drew me, you know, like to this day, the guys I talk about, Verdine White, you know, obviously Jamerson, Flea, you know, these guys that like, they're playing melodies on the bass. And it's much more than just like, you know, the lowest of the low. It's sure. ultimately like they're singing a part within the, the song. So when I think mm-hmm. about my playing, it's like Stratton and, you know, has said like, oh, you, you must have copped a lot from uh, Maceo Parker, you know, on the sax. Because when I'm soloing, and he, he's right. I mean, I was listening to a ton of Maceo. And uh, when I'm soloing particularly, you know, it's about finding these patterns um, that are like, Harmont that are like um, melodic hooks, you know? And I think a lot of what I play is like, yeah, it's holding down the low end. It's like, it's got to be rhythmically uh, tight and feel good. But it's about like, you know, melodic playing, like as if you were singing or playing a horn. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what captures people. I, I feel like what captures the ear is the lyrical quality of uh, whether it's a guitar player or a bass player or even a drummer, if it's like they're singing through their instrument. So that that's how I really think about it. It's like uh, you're, you're kind of singing through your instrument. I also remember Flea, Flea had all, has all these great kind of philosophical quotes. I mean, all my favorite bass players do, obviously Victor. And, you know, they're philosophers of the low end. And Flea, Flea said, uh, you know, you need to play every note like it's your last. That's how much you need to care 
about the note you're playing at this exact moment. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly how I think about it. I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't want to play a single note that isn't with 100% intention and 100% feeling, you know, no throwaway mm-hmm. notes. I love that. I think a lot of people, when they reference you, they bring up people like Jocko, Rocco, Flea, Verdine. Mm-hmm. Yep. How do you how do you accept that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's the 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 highest honor for me would be uh would be sharing uh you know <laughs> sharing a page, sharing a paragraph, uh sharing yeah. a uh no treble uh best of list with any <laughs> you know? And, and and the thing is like I try to I try to just put myself in that in that lineage and 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 that's that's the that's the highest goal there could be like as a bass mm-hmm. player is like if you could be for your generation like one of the torchbearers of the of the instrument in a certain genre like that's how I think about these guys it's like my heroes are bass players that mostly were in a band like some of them are studio guys but mostly yeah. they were like in mm-hmm. a band and they elevated the bass to a level of both visibility and just uh importance within the band like if you think about like a trio or a four-piece band the bass is such an important pillar and so yeah. i think about that and i'm like okay with wolfpack and with all the bands I play in, I feel like I'm just trying to rise to the occasion of seeing myself as like an integral part, like the foundational part. Mm-hmm. And so when I listen to Wolfpack recordings, you know, I appreciate so much that Stratton has a the ear of a bass player. You know, he's such a bass head that yeah. the mixes are such, the arrangements are such that the bass really is a central pillar. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I think about that, I think of like, oh, why do, why do people dig what I do? Why do people like, why does it kind of stand out and why does it get noticed? Is because like you can, you can feel, I think, uh, b- both in the mix and in the composition and in the performance that the bass is like keeping, it's like the sauce that ties it all together. And I think that's mm-hmm. how like, Earth, Wind, and Fire, if you listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, like if you listen to the Chili Peppers, if you listen to um, any Motown recording, it's like mute the bass and that is not the song yeah. you're hearing. It's, uh, you <laughs> yeah, know what totally. I mean? I mean that, yeah. I love that. I love that. I feel like one of your X factors also is your articulation and attack. Like when I hear people doing the dart thing, a lot of times it's the attack the release, yep. I mean, the attack and articulation, the release of the note, obviously the yep. tone has a lot to do with it. Can you talk to me a little bit about when you hear people do that right, or if you have a specific approach to attack and articulation, which by the way, yep. up until recently, I did not realize how much your setup probably has something to do with that because yeah. when we were backstage in Brooklyn and I was playing your bass, I was like, gosh, I'm working hard yeah. to get these strings to move. And I remember <laughs> the one time that we we did something where you were we switched instruments and you were playing mm-hmm. my guitar, listening mm-hmm. to you play with your fingers on my guitar. I was like, you were like, <laughs> the strings were just bad. 
crashing against the pickups because yeah. you're hitting so hard. I can, you know, that's about as far back as I could dial it. And even then it was way <laughs> too much. But dude, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's funny. You probably wouldn't have, have clued into that uh, other than playing my bass because, dude, I had uh, my first bass. I've talked about this a little bit. But my first bass had such high action, just a just a bad setup, and not a not an amazing bass to begin with. A, a yeah. kind of entry level Samic bass, and dude, the strings were a mile off the fretboard, and just to get <laughs> my left hand strength up to snuff to hold the string down and my right hand strength up to playing keeping time and just playing through a whole song and i'm you know eight nine ten years old i didn't realize it's like running with weights on you it's like yeah. wearing weights you know it's like a football workout it's like yeah oh my god it was it was uh it was perfect i never could have i never could have designed that i never would have you know it's just like as a kid you're just trying to make some something sound good let alone yeah. trying to get your like strength and stamina going so from then on i've kind of always kept relatively high action on my instruments because my style is really digging in and yeah. like you know the yeah the 16th note kind of like you know machine gun kind of playing um to me like i don't know i was never like getting this really soft kind of like, oh, I'm just going to tap the strings. It's like, no, it's almost like playing drums. I'm going to be like yeah. really digging in with each, you know, and I just use two fingers and just like do, 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 and just digging in. And, you know, it also lent itself to the slap kind of stuff, at least the way I was doing it, which was the flea kind yeah. of style is when I was in high school, I had a Fender J bass with, you know, relatively high action. And I was just, hitting that thing just you know slapping and popping both with like my whole arm the way flea does it rather yeah. than the kind of really um ergonomic kind of like minimalist like like the marcus victor or style. victor Mar yeah. yeah marcus or victor where you see them holding their hand like where they're yeah. just kind of rotating their wrist it wasn't that you know so i i think part of it was the instrument and part of it was just my my stylistic influences flee really digging in, but also like, yeah, you know, Rocco from, uh, from tower of power, just like, it felt like you had to have this like kind of brute force and you had to have this stamina in order to keep it going. So I think, you know, that was it putting in the hours. And that's what I, that's what I talk to people about when people are asking like, Oh, you know, any tips on, on practicing or how can I get this? There's like, it's just, time spent doing it but mm -hmm. it's time spent doing it like doing it right so like it's time spent doing it with good time it's time spent doing it with other players it's time spent doing it in a performance context you know like that was all you know that was all huge for me was i got this high action bass and now i gotta play a three-hour bar gig with my high school yeah. band you know like <laughs> that stuff you just get these reps in man and it's yeah. still to this day you know i i feel best on my instrument about two weeks into a tour and, and then yeah. it's over you know yeah. I, I felt great after our avant-gardener run 
and then it was over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's your trick of the trade, Wong, is just the never-ending tour, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you keep your chops up. Well, what's interesting here, you talk about practice. I'm sitting here thinking about, have I seen you sit down and practice? I've never seen you sit down and just like play exercises. The only time yeah. I think we've seen each other practice, it's like, I mean, I do some exercises and arpeggio things to warm up my hands, but the most, most of the time that I can think of watching you practice or do something that's not a take for a record or on yeah. stage or at a, a sound check, I see you running the songs and it's more like, okay, do I have this line? Yeah. Do I know this song? I'm playing along with, with one ear as close to the yeah. fretboard as possible and an AirPod in the other ear. Yeah. 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 I'm curious. I just realized like I've never watched you like sit and run scales, <laughs> sit and run like finger exercises. Was that no. ever a part of your thing? Not really. I mean, I, I did, I did some of that when I would be like watching a, an instructional video and it'd be like, sure. all right, try to get, you know, even, even 16th notes on each open string, you know, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Just making sure that I had the dexterity to get the basic, like, you know, the basic uh, consistency going. But yeah, for me, man, it's always been about playing parts. It's always been playing along with songs. It's always been learning bass lines and playing the bass lines. And I really, I, one lucky thing for me was that I grew up with four siblings and a bunch of instruments in the basement. And so yeah. it was always, I mean, I did a lot of stuff alone, but then was playing along with songs, but a lot of it was jamming with my siblings. And so, yeah. you know, that's why I keep coming back to this idea of like, play with as many different people as you can and play as much as you can in an ensemble setting, like just yeah. whatever, jamming, playing songs. You're right. I never really was like that guy who was sitting down and playing scales, playing arpeggios, like putting in the hours. Like I'll hear some cats who like, you know, whether it's sax players doing like long tones or doing like, yeah. I'll hear like Tyler Duncan just going like, forever. That was never me. You know, that was never me. But if you play enough Tower of Power, you're going to just be putting yourself through a 16th note exercise. You're just yeah. going to be going, and it better stay in time and it better yeah. be even. And, uh, you know, that, that was my practice regimen. So you're right. That's about, that's about it as far as the, the shedding goes. But if you do enough of that, you know, that's, uh, it's all there. I mean, this, this, the, the, the practice regimen is in the songs, you know? Yeah. I got so frustrated with my guitar teacher in college. I was like, how do you play so fast? Like, I yeah. want to play that fast. How do, how do you play that fast? He goes, well, just play along with John Coltrane. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. But like, how do I play that fast on the guitar? He's like, yeah, you just, you just play along with John Coltrane. Dude. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's your, there's your practice regimen. Yeah. I mean, I remember playing along with some of those flea lines, like, um, from Californication, and yeah. there's that one right on time where he's like, "Boda better, boda 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 better." You know, yeah. and it's just like it's a sixteenth note octave practice regimen yeah. right there in the song. You know, so I just spent a ton of time like trying to get that down. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. I love that. Well, what's interesting also is that you play a lot of instrumental music, you play a lot of vocal music, and I think some people who are musicians musicians 
don't really understand how to differentiate the two and maybe just kind of have the same approach when it's like playing an instrumental song or like playing behind a guitar player playing the melody or or horn players playing the melody versus when a singer's playing the melody. Sometimes there's a different regard or there's Mm -hmm. like a totally different approach or sometimes it's just the same approach and something gets lost. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you approach playing instrumental music versus vocal music? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to listening. And this is something that it, it, it's like, it's almost so simple, you don't, you don't think it, it bears talking about, but it totally does. I mean, when sure. I play with great musicians, and I remember just, I still get it, you know, this feeling of chills when you're just playing with truly great musicians. Yeah. And what I notice about them and what gives me chills is the way they listen. Like mm-hmm. it is, I mean, you and I have been in settings where we're playing with these legends, you know, even just at Blue Note, like jazz legends or whatever. It's just like they're hearing everything or even just playing with our guys, playing with Nate. I mean, he's hearing everything. And you, when you listen, you know, and and really listen to the other players and you're and you're playing as if you're listening to a song not playing as if you're like trying to say something as if you're like speaking to an audience like you're at the lectern but playing as if you're actually listening to the song then y- you can focus in on what it is about the the song or what it is about this musical moment that's the focal point what's the supportive element what's the color you know and then you realize okay well, it's pretty easy to say what's the focal point when you're playing a song with a singer. You know, yeah. when I'm playing with Theo, I can be like, okay, cool. Well, clearly this verse is about the in the, the vocals and the lyrics, but it's also about supporting that and, and, and the gaps in it and the moments you take. And the same goes for instrumental music. I mean, you know, when we're playing, it's like, it's not, it, it, sometimes it's as simple as, oh, well, this person's taking the lead it's a sax solo it's a guitar solo okay fine but even when it's not that even when we're just chugging along on a sort of quote-unquote verse with no singer there's Mm -hmm. still some element of it that is the focal point whether it's yeah you know woody chunking along on the keys or just this guitar like you know rhythmic pattern that you're playing there's something that's like okay cool there's the there's the focal point and then everything else has its place around it. So I just, I really try to listen and I really try to, you know, play off what other people are doing. And I, I almost try to think as little as I can about what I'm playing. Like, mm. of course, I, you know, I'm thinking about it on some deeper level, but on the, on the, on the front of my brain is not like, oh, I'm going to, here comes my moment to do this. You know, that's such a trap that I'm sure yeah. you feel too, where you're like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit this. It's gonna be a breakup here, and I got this little lick. It's gonna be great, you know. That's that's the trap, you know. Yeah. So really listening and trying to like quiet the part of your mind that's like thinking about what you're doing um, is is how I think about it. And and so then if you apply that to both vocal music and instrumental music, they both will land you at the same place, which is just serving the song. That is a great answer. And you're right. It is kind of, you put it great where it's like, it's almost so simple. It's not even worth talking about because there's so many ways you could say it. But I think some people just need to hear it from everybody in order to get it. (laughs) And, you know, we all need to be reminded of it. Dude, and and listening, I mean, 
that's like you you hear like uh the the guru rick rubin talking he's just talking about just listening and that's that's really i heard him on a i heard him on a podcast years ago um and he was saying you know if you if you really listen you know people will people will kind of tell you like people will tell you what they really want to tell you if you just listen and it's the same in music and and so you know if you're just listening both in conversation in life and in music that's like one of the ultimate ultimate just truths and yet you can get so you can get so out of you get so in your head out there that you're not actually listening you know i love that we brought up the blue note for those that don't know or aren't aware fearless flyers just did an eight eight show run at the blue note in new york city one of the very fun things about it which was unique is that we recorded an album at the Blue Note in front of the audience, which was a super fun experience and also very different than any other Wolf Records recording experience where it's normally just like show up, we kind of figure out the song on the day, record it, and that all happens in like an hour and a half and it's done. This one, we had six new tunes. We kind of prepped, ran through them the day before the first show, and then we recorded them on stage. Super fun and Oh my gosh, what a great way to make an album and to like have this a different level of pressure where like people are there and there's like this a little bit of a biofeedback in the moment. Yeah, so I could have I could have never predicted how that how that would feel in the moment and how that record would sound and I've I've been lucky enough to to get a few little uh tastes uh of of the document of that thing the video and the audio recording and it's a revelation man i mean you know it's not it's not a live album that's the thing like stratton was saying like now, this <laughs> is not live at blue note <laughs> you know we're making a record at blue note in front of an audience but this is not live at blue note you know yeah. <laughs> and uh man you know we were we were definitely thinking and playing half at least half of my brain was in the studio where, yeah. okay, I really want to nail this part. I really want to remember this form. Mm-hmm. I really want to nail the arc of the song and every everything that your brain is thinking about in the studio. And then half of my brain was live in the room. And it's like, I really want this to be engaging. I really want to ride the wave of the energy of the audience. You know, I really want to like play off the other guys in the band. I really want to bring it on the energy and the tempo and everything. And so together, I mean, it's a powerful combo. And, you know, I thought one would make me sort of too nervous for the other or one would occupy my mind and and overtake the other. But I don't think it did. So, I mean, that that was, I mean, this is kind of a game changer thing. So I'm totally about that. Man, it turned out so good and it was so much fun. And it was like, you know. We had multiple takes of everything. And, you know, of course, there's the the first take energy that that was great with the first night. But then by the last night, it was like, we really know these forms now. Yes. And we're much more comfortable. And it was it was so fun to feel the evolution of them through that because they were all brand new to us. You know, oh, so yeah. we had that new energy, but it was also, yeah, we have to act like we we've done this a lot before to make sure that we give our best. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and we tried it a couple different ways. I think throughout the run, we tried playing the whole record down yeah. within the set. And then we also tried playing sort of side A for set one and side B for set two. 
Yeah. And, uh, man, I mean, we got there by the end and man, I am so excited for this. Uh, I think people are gonna, I think it, it, I think it's a truly new kind of angle from which to experience the fearless flyers. Um, so I'm really, really excited for that to, uh, to come out pretty, pretty soon here too. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's coming very soon. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that actually is really exciting for bands that do the thing in the room together and have Mm -hmm. that energy and camaraderie and, and that listening and responding to each other. There's something really fun about just letting, I mean, people see the videos of us on our previous records. Like, yes, we're recording it live in the studio together. We're not like doing it and then going and shooting a video of us over. Like that would be almost impossible for me to do, but just to like get all the nuances. (laughs) You have to be a different kind of freak to do that. It would be absurd. I don't know why the first person I thought of who I would hire for that is like Jordan Ruddis or something like the keyboard player from Dream Theater. Like, I bet he could do that. He'd be like, Actually, yeah. yeah. I- <laughs> those guys probably can. Yeah, those guys that. could do it. But for us, we just got to do it on camera in the moment. <laughs> and to, okay, so it's one thing for people to, yeah. to see it on the internet and be like, yeah, I, I see the video and I hear it. But in the room, it's like, no, there is no faking this. This is exactly it. Like, yeah. that's it. Like, that, that's the record. There it is. Yes, yes you're getting even closer and, you know, we're probably not the first, you know, we discovered it ah, feels pretty organic the way we came to this, but we are by no means the first people to do it. I mean, you've seen, you know, some of those snarky puppy uh, yeah. videos, they did it, they did a reverse of what we did where they were in the studio, but they had like a little audience. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's cool. And then, of course, there's a million amazing live records, you know, maybe it's Donny Hathaway, or maybe it's frampton or who knows that where they captured this live energy but this is like this is at least to me kind of a new iteration of that um and uh you know one that i think will change us and how we how we do it going forward yeah i mean and for those listening we had planned on doing the run at the blue note taking a day off and we had three days booked at a studio in new york city and Jack Stratton was just kind of like, ah, what if we could make this easier on ourselves? What if we just like didn't stay in New York for four extra days and we just like did it on stage? Yeah, I know. (laughs) What a con, like, yeah, because that's just what we're doing anyways. So the only thing we have to do different is just kind of know the songs ahead of time. Yeah. Which which transitions me into the way that we've normally recorded with Wolfpack or the previous Fearless Flyers albums. For those that don't know, like I was saying, normally it's we go in like the Schwitz album. We went in to the studio five days and we recorded two songs a day. Kind of had an idea. There was a couple songs ahead of time, but nothing was really sent out. It was kind of show up in the morning, play through some stuff. Okay, this person has this tune idea. This person has this tune idea. Pick one, flesh it out and record it. And it's a couple hours later, the thing's done. And yeah. that's that. Doing yeah. those kind of sessions there's really, it's hard to teach somebody or explain to somebody how to prepare for something like that. Like, how yeah. do you prepare for a session where, you, like, there's no music to prepare ahead of time? So, how do yeah. you approach preparing going into a session like that where you don't know what you're going to get into, but you know, like, we have no idea what we're doing on the way to the studio, but by the end of this week, we're going to have an album. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and that's, that's just about being in really in the, in the zone. It's about being in the right, in the right headspace. 
obviously it's about being prepared physically, mentally, like, you know, you want to go in there with energy. You want to go in there feeling like you can leave your kind of outside concerns, stresses, things that are on your mind and just kind of step into a, a, a new fresh blank slate and really be with the other people that are in the room. That's, that's why it was, it was so special to do the, the Schwitz, uh, sessions because we did a, basically a residential retreat, you know, it was, it was Wolf camp. It was, yeah. you know, it was band camp. We, we sequestered ourselves in the woods and, uh, and quite literally were, 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 you know, away from the world. But either way, even if you're right in the middle of New York City, you still want to be able to step into the studio and kind of like leave the world behind. And then you just want to, you just want to be hyper-focused, getting, of course, the forms, writing the parts, but just, you know, hitting it with an intensity and a precision. And also like, at the same time, being loose enough so that it doesn't sound rigid. That's, that's such a challenge. And that's another thing that I think maybe being in front of the audience helped with um, and getting a few reps in helped with. It's like, well, you loosen up, you know, you're still just playing a, a concert for people. It's still just a one-time thing and, you know, yeah. there'll be mistakes and whatever, it'll make it special. And, uh, you know, just riding that line, like, how, you know, that's how you, you prepare for it by just being as present as you can um, and giving it, coming back to that flea, giving every note and every take your all. Cause it's like, dude, this might be the one, you know I mean? Mm -hmm. You don't get to choose really which take when you're doing it live the way we do with Wolf or the way we did with Fierce, Fearless Fires. Because if it's everyone else's take or if it's like the lead guy or the singer's take, like that's the one. I hope, yeah. <laughs> you know, I hope yeah, I yeah. did a, a decent <laughs> job. So I really had to assume that every take would be the one. Like, yeah. So that then then you got to get over your ego. Like I had a mistake yeah. in that one. It's like, yeah, I know. Oh, I, I still know where mine are. When I listen back to the records, I'm like, Ugh, sure. yeah. that was take three. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know we did another one after where I nailed it, but you know, sometimes, yeah, that's, that's also kind of the beauty of, of humans creating music in a room together is that, yep. yeah, like I know there's certain takes, I, I have to do this certain thing where sometimes I'm halfway through the intro and I'm like, dang it, the first four bars, I'm not like, I, I'm not killing it. I'm, there's something, yeah. the, the previous take was better and I have to keep myself from getting in the, ah, started off wrong, this is, this is not gonna yeah. be the take. It's like, no, this yeah. very well could be the take. Get it together right now. Right Just because that four bars wasn't your best. Unless every, you're gonna, unless you're gonna take the mulligan, which you pointed out, I, honestly, <laughs> at, 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 but you know, you pointed it out for all the audience to hear. These are the rules. You get you get one, maybe two mulligans, and if you call it within the first four bars, like yeah, fair play. Fair play. Yeah. If you're if you're halfway through the verse, no, no, you're too no, far into the song. Sorry. But if it's if it's like bar three of the song and there's some clam where it's like, ah, no, 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 this is a good it's like, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's back you know, up three seconds. Okay. That's right. But but uh Theo Theo calls it uh not taking the exit, you know? He mm -hmm. says uh you know, when you're playing through and you could be live or in the studio and you see that exit of like, eh, I'm out. This isn't really the, you know, I didn't get off to a good start or I'm not really feeling it. Like, uh, yeah, it's not, not really working. Like I'm going to take the exit mentally 
and I'll yeah. get it on the next take. I'll get it on the next show. It's like, don't do it. Like you said, get right back in there immediately because then you're already into a new moment. You're just like, yeah. oh, you know? Yeah, and especially like you're saying, man, you never know when it's going to be somebody's incredible take. Like there's some of these tunes where yeah, like I the whole song I'm I'm prepping and then I know I got to take a guitar solo and if this is the one then it's gonna be the one or we're playing through a tune and I know Mark's gonna be doing a solo that's it could be just the most mind bending thing and yeah. if I choose to check out it's like well then yeah. it's still gonna be on the album because it's Mark's like if the solo yeah. if this thing that's like <laughs> insanely compelling thing that happens what I yeah. decided out of my own selfish regard to just like, oh, I'm going to kind of self-sabotage the yep. rest of this take to, oh, no, 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 that take sucked. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> that was the one. You, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to get to choose. You, you, you might sometimes, but most of the time uh, you don't get to choose. So, you know, these are all just, again, it's like putting in the reps, man. This is the stuff I've learned from years of doing it. I, I didn't start out with these kind of, uh, yeah, this is just kind of the, the wisdom you acquire and, and you, you become a little, hopefully less, uh, self centered, you know? Yeah. Um, but you also know it's like, okay, there's going to be moments where it's like, you know, you deal with this more than I do. It's like, or maybe we both do the solo moments on a record, you know, it's like, and as a guitar player, it's like, okay, here's my moment. Like, (laughs) yeah. I know. And then you go, you, your mind goes through all these things like, well, you know, my, my friends are going to listen to this or like yeah, the guitar right. magazines are going to listen to exactly. this or all <laughs> yeah. my, like my guitar heroes, some of them might listen to this. What are they going to think of me? Am, is it yeah. going to be good enough? Am, am I going to yeah. keep their attention? Totally. And then it's, uh, traps, then, then it just goes traps. to mental, yeah. mental traps. You got to just, uh, you got to just, you know, be in the moment and, 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 and say, something you know and then leave it leave it one of the huge mental traps we have in the modern era of social media is the comparison game Hmm. i know a lot of people struggle with and wonder how professionals people are that are masters of their craft how do we deal with the comparison game Hmm. i'm curious for you as someone who's on the internet uh who's well regarded who's voted into no treble lists but also (laughs) like you're checking out other players and you're like, dang, this person's good. What do you do to keep yourself from going down the mental trap of the comparison game? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's easier than it probably ever was because to, to, to get into that trap, into that comparison game, um, because you're just inundated, you know, you, my, my, you know, just go to the like discover page on your Instagram. You don't even have to do that anymore. Now my, now my Instagram feed has just become a discover page. It doesn't yeah. even show me anyone I follow, but it's just, I'm swiping <laughs> through and it's like the, you, you know, it starts to just uh, be a, you know, this strange new paradigm we're in with kind of engagement and with, uh, you know, v- virality, v- virality and, and, uh, you know, all this stuff, which is ultimately just, just noise, you know, I mean, it's just noise. And it's probably the same, you know, probably the same thing that people have been up against for all time. I mean, what was the 70s, 60s, 70s version of that? It was like the noise of fame, the noise of like, you know, the record biz uh, hustle, 
and you know trying to play you know place a song on the radio it was maybe you know critic critical acclaim like critics voices uh, mattered more than i mean just there was always something peripheral to the actual thing the thing being the record or the performance to to cloud it and to just to to get hyper focused on this noise and this kind of the waves that something will make or what people are saying about something is uh you know that's a total trap so if you just go and try to just tune into what the actual thing is then you can get back to appreciating just what what you're in it for in the first place you know i mean yeah. when i it's like i'll go on youtube and i'll or somebody will show me like a youtube video they're like oh have you seen this uh clip you know this amazing player or this amazing performance or this amazing just kind of piece of history that you're not hip to and you tune in and it's like the first thing my eyes do is scroll down to the view count and the like number of comments and like you know i'll watch like a little bit and like i'll find myself scrolling down to like see what people are saying about the it you know, because you want some yeah. sort of context or you want some sort of like you know i'm looking for context i'm like how huge is this this like viral is this satire when did this come out is this new is this a deep cut like all this stuff but it's it's just all noise it's just like tuning back into what the thing is mm -hmm. is what it's about and there's so many yeah. like beautiful songs that you know you know theo will talk about this a lot it's like it's not we're not necessarily in a time where the most like beautiful compelling deep song will be the one that shows up on your social media feed you know yeah. it, it, it might be something something with some sort of that captures the the algorithm in some in some other way that's you know th 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 so i just try to get myself back to like okay listen to what well, if it's a bass player like listen to what a bass player is doing like i was i was uh i went to a show here in berkeley uh a couple months ago yusuf days mm -hmm. and you know this amazing kind of british jazz funk funk fusion kind of players and uh was it rocco you know, or was, was it like, uh rocco paladino on bass he was rocco paladino on bass and yes. you know i was lucky enough to be in the audience for this show because i had i had really seen this uh this band yusuf and his band kind of like starting to really blow up on like my social media feeds or they were just kind sure. of coming into my my the algorithm was yeah. shepherding me towards them you know yeah, yeah. tiny desk yeah. and youtube recommendations and coming up on my spotify discover weekly you know yeah. and 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 all of that kind of started to color my perception of this of this music or of this band i was just like oh you know i this it was just like, it was, I don't know, it was giving me this whole kind of, it was packaging it for me in a way. And mm -hmm. then when I went to this concert, it was just a band playing on stage. It was at the UC Theater. A amazing sound system. Great, like, minimal setup on stage with, like, the drums at the forefront and the band in kind of a semicircle. And Rocco Palladino, like... You know, talk about a, a a guy who's been 
there's some noise in my mind around this guy, namely that I'm just such a huge fan of his father, Pino Palladino. And, yeah. and so I've got, like, Oh, I want to do, am I going to hear some Pino and his playing? Blah, blah, blah. The point is I'm there at this show and I'm just immersed in what it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it was just gorgeous. I mean, it was a beautiful performance and they really captured the audience and took us somewhere and the grooves were so deep and the solos were so amazing. And it was devoid of any of that noise. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, yeah, you know, just trying to get back to get back to that. Just like, okay, what, you know, what is this, uh, what is this aiming to, 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 to communicate? You know, what is the, what is the utter feeling that this is aiming to communicate? Yeah. I love that. Speaking of family lineage, Pino to Rocco, I'm curious. So those that don't know, you come from a family lineage of musicians and, one of them, most notably your grandfather, Izzy Baker, who's a first call violinist. I'm curious uh, on, on two sides of this. One, when you listen back to the recordings that your grandfather did, what are three of them that stand out to you that's like, oh yeah, that's my grandfather? And then mm-hmm. when you have grandkids, is there three things that you think that they're going to look back on and say, yeah, that's Joe Dart, my grandpa. Dude, amazing question. Well, one incredible thing to me is as I go about my life is hearing my grandfather just from time to time. On I'll just be I'll be in the pharmacy, you know, or I'll be uh you know, at a bar or a restaurant and I'll hear a song come on and either because I happened to read it in his in his discography or because and occasionally i can hear him I, he has a mm. distinctive sound on his, on his instrument i'll be like huh no shit that's my grandpa on the box right now wherever i am and, it, and um you know i didn't grow up with a it took me many years to appreciate that you know he he was a session violinist he, he was he was a classical a uh, violinist and concertmaster and played with Stravinsky and played, uh, uh, you know, with just some incredible, incredible classical uh, recordings from the kind of uh, 30s, 40s, 50s. But then what he really kind of made his name in is something that he never aimed f- to to do. And that's just be a a session musician, just a working man kind of, he was essentially part of the wrecking crew. He was kind of part of the, he was the, essentially the string section uh, of the sort of wrecking crew. And he was, he was getting calls from, you know, Quincy Jones and he was getting calls from, you know, John Williams. And, you know, he, he, he became a first call violinist doing something that he never he never set out to do and 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 never really cared to do. He was not he did not dig rock and roll. He was not a jazz guy. He was not a pop guy. He was a classical violinist. But this is how he made a living and put put his daughters, put my mom through college. And so, you know, because he happened to be in Los Angeles in the golden age of recorded music and working his ass off 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, he ended up playing on so many of the most timeless records of all time. And so many of the 
most timeless film scores of all time. So it's funny you say like, what are the top three, you know, that I, that I'm like, oh, that's easy. But you know, one of them that I just thought of is I was listening to it over Christmas because it kept coming on a lot, but, uh, that, uh, Nat King Cole, the Christmas song. And it starts out mm. with those violins. That's like, wanna wanna that's your grandpa. Yeah, that's Izzy on that. Dude. And it's not even, ah. and it's not even his like claim to fame. I mean, his claim yeah. to fame that people always that, you know, they wrote about in his obituary was that he was the psycho violinist. Yeah. So ring, he was ring, playing ring. the, yeah, he was playing the, 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 the screeching on the violin during the shower scene in Psycho, but he's also, <laughs> you know, the ones that, that 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 I hear him most. Yeah, so I, I over Christmas I was just listening to that, but also um, those Sinatra uh, recordings, uh, "Fly Me to the Moon," huge, huge one. I mean, you, I can't choose three, but when I was a kid, it was the Simpsons theme song, so it was like. Yeah, he was on, yeah, he was on the Simpsons theme song, and the part where it's like, you know, so that that's all him. Wow, and then Georgia on my mind, Ray Charles, Ooh. huge, huge one. And then, I mean, there are so many. It's just amazing to me. It's endlessly inspiring. But like, we had a we had a moment uh, where we played with. Michael McDonald, because we were part of that super yeah. jam. Okeechobee. Okeechobee super jam. And it was Michael McDonald. And we were, Wolf was part of the backing band for Michael McDonald. And it was this incredible moment, you know, kind of meeting, meeting one of our heroes. And one of my great regrets is that I didn't at the time realize that my grandfather had played on his first record his kind of famous, you know, mm. I keep forgetting is on that record. Yes. And so here I am playing these songs with Michael McDonald, not realizing until a couple months later that I was playing on these songs that my grandfather had been on the original recording with, with Michael McDonald. And so there's so many like kind of hallmarks of like popular music in the mid 20th century that I'm like, wow, man, my grandpa Izzy was, he was in the room, man. That that's him on that recording. Yeah. You know, there's so many, so many. And so, you know, when I think of my own legacy, it's like we've we've put out, you know, these good this good body of records now that we've made with Wolfpack, body of records with Fearless Flyers, you know, me playing with Theo, the Olam, like these these bands that I've played with, and I feel like some of them will hopefully stand the test of time. And mm -hmm. particularly like, you know, some of these Wolf, some of the, these Wolf tracks that like, you know, Dean town, for example, like yeah. somehow we managed to put something out into the world that feels like it occupies a certain place that, and it just might last, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the sing-along bass part, the bass as lead part, yeah. the kind of um, uh, learn it for your uh, learn it for your entry uh, <laughs> exam or learn it for <laughs> your juries or whatever. You yeah. know, when I hear about people at Berkeley College of Music who who played Dean Town or really any one of our songs mm -hmm. for uh, their entrance exam or whatever, it's like ah, okay, 
we may have put something out yeah. that might that might last. Yeah, you yeah. know. So um, yeah, man. I think of I think of Dean Town. You know, obviously Beastly being kind of the entry to the to the scene that Wolfpack was kind of like our first mm-hmm. track, and and then you know I'm 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 proud of the, some of the stuff we've done, like the like Corey like Corey Wong, like some of the some of the funk track or like um disco ulysses or like some of these kind of like funk tracks that we've recorded that i feel like you know not to like toot our own horn but like i feel like we kind of we kind of got there we kind of like you know stratton got stratton being a student of chic um and us all being students of you know whether it's prince or you know stevie earth when it fires like we put we put something out there that uh that i feel like can hang you know, in terms of the sound and the feel and the vibe, um, as a kind of modern day disco record, much like yeah. I'll look to, uh, you know, Jamiroquai or whatever. And I'll just be like, all right, well, they were after the fact by about 20 years, but they put some stuff out that can hang. I would hope that, you know, 30 or 40 years after the fact, we, we put out some stuff that'll, that'll still, uh, evoke the same things. Yeah. You know? Love that. You are notoriously a no pedals guy. Yeah. We we there there's been talk there's been talk of DI Joe DI yeah. Joe whether it be a nickname or or an actual DI that gets put out <laughs> many ways we could we could go with this <laughs> this just bringing up the topic what what would DI Joe be Figurine, if it was you know the, the merchandising uh, option yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good branding in there that could be good yeah. get you in a get you in the garb yeah. Um, <laughs> this has been an intentional no pedals move. T- talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah. Well, I, uh, when I was playing, when I was coming up, I had, I did mess around with, um, a couple little, I had a zoom or, or no, a boss. A, I think it was a zoom that had a built in, uh, drum machine and a built in, blooper and was like, it like a the little, 505 yeah one of, the, one, of, one of those little expression pedal it was like a whole all-in <laughs> okay one. yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah yep yep you know? another one yeah it was an all-in-one and so i would mess around with that and i would turn on the auto wah kind of thing and i would turn on the fuzz and i would use it to loop and i would use it to add a drum machine and that was kind of you know that was there was there was an some exploration there when I hadn't yet found my, my band. I hadn't, I was still, you know, 13, 14. I was playing with my siblings, but I hadn't joined a band yet. And, you know, so I had that and I kind of messed around with that, but I never got deep into the pedals scene. I never got deep into effects. I kind of always was playing, trying to sound like, you know, whatever sly and the family stone or earth wind and fire sure you know and and it's a, or james jamerson and and so it was a lot of pretty much raw bass you know hopefully like warm tone you know but not not a not super af- affected the 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 players that i was listening to you know flea would sometimes do some fuzz or some kind of auto wah stuff but uh but short of that it was it was it was that my uh my influences were all like, you know, kind of playing a jazz bass, you know, through a Ampeg or whatever. And, uh, and then as time went on, it, it did become more of like, oh yeah, I guess really my thing is like a 
simplified minimalist kind of ethos that that was there but maybe we kind of cued in on at some point and then where it really came to bear was was when we started designing these signature bases with music man you know mm-hmm. when jack and i started talking about doing a a base uh with music man and you know we 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 set our sights on this hyper minimal kind of like jack says cut from a tree one knob um and and it's all part of the same kind of simplistic ethos of like you know there's 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 not a lot of gear there's not a lot of like oh how do you get this sound oh you need this piece and that piece you need to run it through this you need to run it through that it really is coming back to this like oh well good feel good time a lot of the sound is 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 in the fingers a lot of it's just uh you know the same technology that's been around for 40 50 years and um you know and 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 now we have this you know this little stable of instruments that we made with music man kind of each simpler than the last you know like just kind of subtract subtract you know did one with no knob you know <laughs> like simple 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 and and uh you know the gear that i i love uh i love the mark bass amps that i play because they're just real you know for the most part except for the sort of loud color scheme there's nothing really uh <laughs> fancy about these these things you know they're light and uh they're they're warm but they they're pretty transparent you know mm-hmm. and that's that's really that's that's what i love there's like a there's a simple kind of beauty uh in that so yeah it doesn't hasn't uh you know it it, it my 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 partnerships, uh, are, are, are fewer, you know, I don't have, uh, sure. I don't have a lot of, you know, <laughs> pedal partnerships probably in my future. We never know, but I certainly am happy to work with, uh, music man and, and Mark bass and particularly music man has this simple thing going on where they, they kind of nailed it with the stingray, you know, a few decades yeah. ago. And to this day, it's just like, Oh wow. Yeah, there it is. Much like the jazz bass, just like, all right, there, there it is. Nailed it. It still sounds as iconic and still feels as good to play today as it did then. Yeah. Well, I've got the stable of dart bases. I've got JD one right here. I've got JD two right there and I have ordered JD three. You know what Wong? I already knew that because Brian ball texted me the moment you ordered it. So I have to give you props, my friend, because it's one thing to have the dedication to purchase one of your bandmates signature instruments. It's another thing to be there within the 90 minute window that they're available for sale. So props to you, man, those 50 sold out in part, thanks to you. And I'm glad they're in good hands, bro. You got the vault. You know, I, I, I was driving on my way to go see my personal trainer when the email <laughs> dropped. I got in 30 minutes late. I'm I think I'm number 29 or 39. Yeah. I was yeah. a little pissed I wasn't in single digits. My JD1, <laughs> it's number 7. Look at that. Number 7 of 50 right Legend. there. Legend. Well, listen man, you Look, I uh, even put the gaff tape on, I man. Know. Yeah, you <laughs> Listen, you are a steward of that instrument. You're keeping it safe for future generations. And I like to think it's part of the Wong nest egg, dude. If you ever got to, you know, right. afford an extra semester of college for one of your kids, throw, you know, throw one of those on reverb.com. You know, it's, it's, it's good. Dude. <laughs> or I That's just need to teach good. my kids how to play it and they can take it out in the world. And 
teach a kid to play bass, you know? That's it. That's yeah. what my dad used to say. You'll never go hungry. There's always going to need that. People are always going to need bass players, man. Um, there is definitely a a stupid pun with give a kid a bass and they'll eat for a day, bass bass. Definitely. Teach yes. them how teach them how to bass and they will <laughs> take them take them to the to the bass pro shop. You yeah, know, the bass pro shop. <laughs> we don't need to go all the way there, but I'll acknowledge that something is there. If I really wanted to, if I thought it was worth it, I would go through the effort of you thinking could. it through. You yeah, can yeah. come back to it. <laughs> Well, man, it is so great to have you on the podcast. It's so much fun. It's great to have your insight on this. And for those that are listening that aren't familiar with any of the, the Joe Dart bases, go to Music Man. That's where you can get them. You got to go to yep. Music Man. You got to go to the website. Get them direct. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to to be able to uh, you know kind of announce to the world the uh, the things that you know that are coming down down the pipeline you know we, we we spoke about it but the i'm really really excited about this fearless flyers uh record i think yeah. it's gonna be um you know it's gonna be a, a cool a testament to uh to what we've achieved as a band and i think i think you know wolfpack may well be uh may well be looking looking to that for uh for our next uh our next venture and and for the the bases that we've been working on i mean this one was the um this one was the, the the third in the trilogy, and you know yeah. that's kind of that kind of rounds out that um, endeavor. But there's uh, there's there's an exciting there's an exciting little extra extra encore chapter to this that we're gonna yes. throw on. And uh, you know, uh, just as a teaser, if you uh, you know if you haven't gotten uh, your hands on a Joe Dart uh, instrument yet, it, it may uh, it may become. Uh, a little, a little easier um, in the near future. So uh, I'll just leave. Yes, leave that there. given the Wolf teaser, given the the future Wolf teaser, given the Music Man teaser, I like this. You heard it. You heard it here first, folks. Look out! It's going to be a fun year. I will attest to that. It really is, man. And uh, I'm uh, super honored to uh, to be on the podcast here, man. Big, big fan of what you're doing here, and uh, you know. It's uh, it's an honor and a privilege, man. Well, thanks. I will see you sometime very soon. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. Peace. Thank you, bro. There you have it. Joe Dart giving you the exclusive on some stuff that's coming up. Very appreciative of that. You know, I'm always like, oh, do I tell people about stuff? Do I not tell people about stuff? Eh. Two of us on here. We might as well let you know what's going on. We got really exciting things coming up. For Wolfpack and Fearless Flyers. We'll see you out there. Keep your eyes peeled for the new Fearless Flyers album because it's coming very soon. Check out the Joe Dart bass course at Wolf Conservatory. It is also quite slamming. I have taken the course myself. I can speak to that. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging. Peace. Peace.